Hey there, this is What's Going On in the Garden. And this is a show where we talk about what's going on in the garden. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm happy. I'm glad it rained and that it's cool and crisp outside. It is cold today. It's very strange. (laughs) I don't know what has happened. But at least we're not getting frost or snow or anything like that. Yeah, that I am not here for at all. But it was really hot a couple days ago. It was like 90, over 90 degrees and really humid. And suddenly it's, it's how, how cold it's is like it today? It's like in the 50s. It's very, that is too cold very for moderate. late May. But the peas are happy. Oh, yeah? And the kale's happy and the sweet peas are happy, so, you know. Yeah, but the tropicals that we planted probably no, aren't every, so happy. And then all the tomatoes <laughs> and peppers are just sulking, but it'll be warm again soon. The tropicals are probably happy that it rained finally, though, right? Yeah, I mean, finally. It was kind of a dry spell, but not too extreme. But How long had it been? I don't know, two weeks, maybe three weeks at most. Yeah, well, I think down here that's a full-on drought. But. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't too dry. Well, we've kind of already started talking about it, but uh, what's going on in the garden? Well, um, we've been doing a little bit of plant shopping, just a small amount. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, when you say just a small amount, what you mean is every day there's uh, packages coming. Well, that doesn't And they count. are all for that, you. That's plant <laughs> shopping that I already done did earlier that's just coming into fruition now. So You know, I before I met you, I probably didn't realize how much plant shopping could be done online. Yeah, it's really... And it's getting more and more, I think, more and more options online. Um, but it's really... If you want to get more unusual stuff, you I wind up going online because we don't have a lot of sort of... Sp- sp- very few specialty nurseries around here. It's sort of... It winds up being... Uh, a lot of the same, the same again, and again. But. I mean, even I've bought cactus online before. Yeah, some plants are like trees and shrubs are not really very practical to buy online because they're so big and the shipping gate's expensive. And you have, um, but some things like cactus ship very, very well, so it kind of makes almost no reason to buy them in person. Yeah, but it's interesting to me how someone who hates, who supposedly hates shopping as much as you do, has a full-on problem. When it comes to online shopping for plants. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well, the delivery people and our neighbors definitely know (laughs) what I'm talking about. Shopping for clothes is just sad and depressing. Yeah, you always say when when you have to buy clothes, you're like, that's money that could be spent on plants. And clothes don't make you happy. Plants do, (laughs) so it's a waste of money. Yeah, but there can be too much of a good thing. No, that's not true. So sometimes you have these plants shipped and then if there's a problem you know if they're delayed they can die right in transit that's a problem with online shopping you know i don't think i've ever had anything die really in delayed shipping um to be honest so i just had some roses that sat in the post office for two weeks being lost in the mail and they definitely look sad the leaves were yellow and stretched but now that they're in the ground they're putting out new growth um so They'll recover. They're a little bit set back, but most plants are pretty resilient. Things like if it was an annual, like tomato seedlings, you might not have enough time for it to recover to be worth it. But for perennials and stuff, uh, yeah, I can't think of actually, maybe one time I got shipped some rotten things, but it wasn't delay in the shipping. That was just a terrible company that then went bankrupt like a year later. Um, but I really haven't had, I can't think of any disasters I've had from mail order shopping shop for plants, which is surprising because... Given how much you do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're going to be... Sometimes there's a broken leaf or they're a little bit banged up, but they recover pretty quick. So I know that you've bought plants all from all over the world. Maybe we're not supposed to say that. 
Well, I don't buy plants from all over the world. Seeds. Oh, okay. okay. Plants okay. are very, very hard to import as they should be because a live plant can easily be have insect pests and fungal diseases and stuff. Seeds are easy to import legally. Okay. Um, so I have a special. They have a special small lots of seeds import permit which you can get, which allows you to import them legally. But seeds are easy to keep very sterilized and clean, and they're not weeds. So I order seeds from all over the world, but live plants only from within the U.S. Okay. Well. Really quickly, do you want to say some of your favorite places to shop for plants, you know, to have them delivered? Not locally, but what? Oh, um, I don't have a good answer for that one. (laughs) What? I really, honestly, I want a plant. I go to Google. I see who's selling it. Places I often shop for, now that I'm talking, a Far Reaches farm Mm -hmm. is really cool. They have a lot of fun things. Telos Rare Bulbs. Um, in California, they do a lot of really interesting uh, gladiolus, species gladiolus that I really like. Odyssey bulbs is really fun. I said I didn't have an answer, and now I have the longest yes. answer ever. <laughs> um, I'll also say for a cactus, I've bought things from Planet Desert. That turned out to be a good experience. Oh yeah, Planet De- Ethical Desert. I like. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what quite makes them ethical, but they specialize in cold hardy succulents. So I've gotten some hardy aloes and hardy cactus from them. So there are um, a lot of options. A lot of options. But, yeah, for real, I really, most places, I, I'm looking for a plant. I put it in Google when I find a nursery. And then if I'm buying one thing from them, I look over the whole rest of their listing. Annie's Annuals is great. Mm-hmm. But I, I really think, and this is my personal thing, the more the website looks like it was designed 20 years ago, the more excited I am. Because <laughs> sometimes if it's a really slick website, I'm a little suspicious that it's, there's places that I've that have very slick websites that they're just buying from some wholesale producer the same thing that's going to Lowe's, marking it up and shipping it to you. And if it's a little janky website, it's usually somebody growing something in their backyard that you can't get huh. anywhere else. But we have lots of plants in our garden, in containers, in our house, house plants that we bought online. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a pretty pretty good thing. It's a pretty yeah, it definitely. If you need again, trees and shrubs that are larger sizes, it's it becomes financially unfeasible. Um, because you're going to have to get, or you're going to get very small Though plants. we did buy like eight trees. We did buy some shrubs. Yeah, I have yeah. bought some shrubs online too. Right but, after we moved into but the I, house. Trees and shrubs, I'd be the most likely to want to try to buy locally just because they're bigger and the shipping costs get sure. really high. And seeds are shipped so easily that I, I don't even, I hardly even buy, would even look to buy seeds in stores because it's so easy to buy them online. But lately we've also been shopping for some plants at some local nurseries and garden centers. So we recently bought some coleus and some New Guinea impatiens, some annuals for the garden to fill in some spots. And we also bought some Elysium the other day. Yeah, so some shrubs, some anise shrubs. So Elysium, I don't know if you know this, that's the genus that where star anise, the spice, oh. is the, 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 the seed capsule of a different species. The ones that we are growing are all poisonous. Do not eat them. Um, but the, but the anise flavor works well in the garden because... It, deer don't like it. Voles <laughs> don't like it. Rabbits don't like it. Nothing likes to eat it. And they're nice-looking shrubs, too. I, you know, I'm the, the foliage person, and I really like their foliage. They come in different colors. There's green and yellow that we have throughout the garden. Yeah, and they're evergreen. And they do well in dark shade, so... Yeah, they're so, pretty, pretty ad- ad- adaptable, durable shrubs. So, that we, yeah. so the yellowy leaf one is Florida Sunshine. Um, which has become really popular in where it's hardy. So I think there's zone seven-ish plants. So we're 
much colder than us, you couldn't grow them. But okay. if you have a mild climate, they are really good uh, broadleaf evergreens. Well, uh, we kind of already talked a little bit about some tips for shopping when we said shopping online. But I thought that we could give our, you know, <laughs> many, many, many tens and tens of followers some tips on plant shopping. So here they are, some tips on how to how to shop for plants. Top tips for buying plants. <laughs> <laughs> so some of these I came up with, uh, some of these Joseph came up with. And we should say that, you know, we're different kinds of plant shoppers. You like to collect weird things. Yes. And, that's why I married you. And I like to flesh out the garden. Yeah. I don't like bare spots in the garden. And... Um, I care much more about foliage. You care much more about flowers. Yeah. Uh, I care more about prices. You can't be bothered with such details most of the time. I don't think that's true. I think that is true. It depends on how much I want it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So together, you know, depending on what kind of plant shopper you are, hopefully together we can come up with some tips that'll be helpful for lots of people. So the first tip I came up with uh, was to buy small. And this is something I've learned from you. You can really save money and you can also get, uh, you know, just more bang for your buck. You can fill in the garden if you buy small plants. At the, at the nursery, if you buy, you know, what is it, a four-inch pot instead of a seven-inch pot, even that difference, you can save significant amounts of money. You can get two plants sometimes for what you'd pay for one. And then when you spread them out in your garden and you know, it depends on the plant, but weeks to months, you can have a lot more space filled in and your garden look a lot fuller than it would have been if you bought that big plant. Yeah. I think particularly if you're for perennials and trees and shrubs, buying small makes a lot of sense because there's going to be, you're maybe buying a year to a few months of difference. Um, annuals, maybe, you know, it's a shorter window. So smaller annuals, if you want the garden to look fantastic the whole summer, you might want to buy big annuals. So it looks great all summer, but with a perennial or a shrub, off, as, and shrubs particularly, often large shrubs take longer to recover from transplanting because it's a bigger mass. And very quickly, they're going to fill in to the point where they look exactly like the more expensive one. Um, and so, yeah, I like buying smaller versions when I'm pretty much going to get the small size available whenever I can. Yeah, and that leads to the second tip that we came up with, which is buy perennials. And I guess, I mean, people can buy annuals, and we do too, but I remember the moment I realized how much money I could save by buying plants that would come back every year. As simple and obvious as that sounds, um, I I like to buy perennials more than annuals. Perennials are almost always more expensive than annuals, yeah. right? Usually they're going to be, they're uh, generally as a rule of thumb, the longer a plant's going to live, the slower it's going to develop when it's young. I mean, that's maybe that's not true. Yeah, I think it is. But in general, a perennial or tree or shrub is longer time to produce, more expensive for a nursery to produce. Um, so if you're at the nursery, the annuals are going to be cheaper. But if you want to fill your whole garden with with plants and you're doing it with the annuals every year, unless you're growing them from seed or propagating them yourself, it can be add up pretty quickly. Whereas the perennials, yeah. if they're well suited to your conditions, can definitely be a uh, you know, longer term. They're going to come back and, and yeah fill in. Yeah, I think if it kind of depends on your budget and, and your plans. But if you have a set amount of money that you want to invest in the garden one time, perennials are a great way to, yeah. to make that money go really far. Whereas if you, you know, want to spend that, that money every year on plants, maybe you can invest it in annuals. We have one neighbor who has a beautiful garden um, and she plants almost all annuals, I think. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, right? she does pretty much a big annual display every year. It looks great, but I'm guessing the financial investment is significant every year. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on what effect you want. There's a lot of good things about annuals. And you certainly, annuals from seed can be very, very cost-effective, If you, which we can't do many at home because most of the fast-growing seed annuals want sun. But if you have full sun and you want to fill in with zinnias and marigolds and nasturtiums and stuff, that could be a few dollars, really, to get a lot of color for that, but. So the other tip that I have is uh, another. I sound like the penny pinching. <laughs> I think a lot's going on. I, I call this tip getting the most bang for your buck. But I guess I've been talking about that with lots of these tips. But our recent experience is a lesson here because we went to the nursery or the plant center. What would you call that? Nursery. Nursery. Okay. And we wanted to buy shrubs, and we had one shrub in mind. We were going to buy a Japanese maple, and then pretty quickly I realized that I could get a lot more space in the garden covered with something that wasn't fragile if we bought Elysium instead. So I call this thinking about fillers versus thrillers. Probably you want a couple thriller plants in the so garden, right? So what do you mean when you say thriller thriller versus filler? Well, I guess I'm taking it from what you taught me about building containers. Thriller, filler, spiller, Yeah. right? So I'm not sure how you're using it in this context. Well, I think in the garden, if there's a plant that's kind of a focal point... Uh, like a Japanese maple, as an example. Mm-hmm. You probably won't see a garden just full of those. I've often seen, I know, you know, one person I work with, their garden, they have a, a fountain in their backyard, and at the center of the fountain, there's this Japanese maple. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the focal point for the whole garden. And I'm sure they spend hundreds of dollars on that Japanese maple. But if you have a larger space like we do that you're trying to fill in with plants, basically you're like, oh, I have this empty space and I need to get plants in there to make the garden look fuller, then you can uh, you know, not, not buy four Japanese maples to do that. You can think about a different kind of plant that will uh, cost less money and you can fill in the space and then you can still have the Japanese maple as kind of a filler. I mean, as kind of a thriller or a focal point. Oh, okay. I don't know if I buy that. <laughs> really? <laughs> Oh, here we go. Our first fight. <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah. I get certainly, I think you want to think about having contrast in design in terms of, but I think you could fill the garden with Japanese maples and then they would be the backdrop and then you might want to have something else as contrast to the Japanese maples. So, well, at least one point is filling the garden with Japanese maples would, would be much more expensive. Yes, definitely right? be more expensive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I guess I'm saying if you're budget conscious, which clearly I am and you're not. <laughs> That you could still have a beautiful Japanese maple. Invest in that one thriller. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then use other shrubs to fill out your garden. That's yeah. what I'm trying to yeah, say. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and that's something that just kind of came to my mind while we were at the nursery shopping the other day. Um, so the other tip is to think about pests. Yes. This sounds like a tip that came from you. <laughs> no, you wrote that one. But it is definitely, you need to think about you know, for us, it's voles and deer are the two big things that we deal with in the home garden. And, you know, we bought a bunch of beautiful fatsias last year that now have been completely eaten by the voles. Yes. And that can be very, very frustrating. So if you know you have deer or or whatever the pests are, either a plan to keep the pests off of them before you buy them or buying things that, are, that they're not going to eat because you can quickly spend a lot of money and be very, very frustrated if what you're buying is going to be gobbled up. Um, and that goes for, you know, things being well adapted to your climate and stuff too. I really, I like, um, 
you know, if you don't know plants, buy one of them first and see how it does for a year before you buy a, a mass of 50 of them to see if they're really going to thrive in your conditions. Or, you know, I think that makes, you know, making sure that they're going to perform for you before you invest in a lot of them. It definitely makes sense. Here's the difference between us, too, because I know you're right, but I also am much less patient than you are when yeah, it comes to I the think, garden. I, I mean, also, we talked about, like, like buying small and saving money. I'm very willing to – I just planted a ton of peonies – seeds right. which will bloom in three to four years and i'm totally fine with that because in three to four years i'm going to have like a hundred tree peonies and it's going to be awesome and it cost me almost nothing um so if you're patient you want to grow from seed or i like to take cuttings i take cuttings a bunch of things and they're little small things but they you know i i mean i always feel like you blink and five years have gone past and five you know five years your cuttings are gonna be big shrubs and the peonies are gonna be blooming and everything's gonna be wonderful so time is money does not apply to the garden. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely does. You bu- you're 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 spending money. You're buying time. When you buy a big mature shrub, what you're spending is the three years that the nursery spent growing it. You're buying time with your money. And if you have patience, you can buy a little tiny seedling or sapling, and you know, and spend time instead of money. Does that make sense? I think you turned it on its head. <laughs> Hopefully, everyone can follow. <laughs> So you have another tip here about botanic gardens. So this is something I really like. And we did this when we first moved down here. We call it tooting and booting. Toot if you like something. Boot if you don't like. We totally ripped that off our favorite drag queens. Yes, yes. Thank you, Raja and Raven. Um, (laughs) But I really think when you're at the nursery garden center, you're seeing plants growing in pots. They're not mature. They may not be often at many sort of big box stores. They've been planted, treated with plant growth regulators. They're going to change the growth habit significantly from how it's going to perform in the ground. So when we first moved down here, we spent a lot of time at the two botanic gardens near us looking at plants and saying, do you like this? Or do you don't like it? Do you like this? Or do you don't like it? And seeing, because you're seeing the mature form of it. And that gives you a much better idea of how it's going to perform in your home garden. And also that sense of, is it going to perform in my climate? So if we see something at the local botanic garden and it looks beautiful, um, then I know it's going to look, it should do well in my own home conditions. You um, can also get a sense of what plants look good together. Yeah, it's a great place to get ideas. And I think, so I, like in our backyard uh, last year, last year I put in a bunch of heucheras. Um, and most heucheras do not persist down here, but we were at Norfolk Botanic Garden and saw this huge mass of a variety caramel, and it looked fantastic. And so I then went home and bought a whole bunch of heuchera caramel, and they're looking great in our home garden too. And if I just gone and bide, bide, <laughs> gone to the box store and bought whatever heucheras I saw, they may be varieties that are not well adapted and not going to thrive here. Um, so I really, yeah, I think you can say, like we talk about like the pest resistance and adapt- adaptability to your climate and all that stuff, going and seeing good gardens, whether it's botanic gardens or friends' gardens. I mean, we go to our friends and see their Japanese maples and hostas right. and get inspired. I think that's a great way to figure out what you actually want and what's actually going to do well. So you're spending on money, your money on plants that you're going to love and are going to love your conditions rather than just buying something that you're actually not going to like once it settles in. I will add one more tip, which is shop around. I'm really amazed at the wide variation in quality and price, even in the same nurseries or garden centers in our area. Sometimes the price can be twice as much for a plant that's of much lower quality than what you get somewhere else. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. It can vary a lot, a lot. And often it's not very... It doesn't make any sense. Yes. (laughs) Because we went to a nursery that will remain unnamed. Um, And we will not go back. (laughs) That was 
three times the prices of anywhere else. Yeah. And the plants, I mean, some of the plants looked good, and it, but a lot of the plants didn't look great either. I was very, you know, I, I'm willing to pay premium price for a really beautifully grown. Money bags over here. Unusual plant. I think it can be worth it. But when it was very generic plants grown pretty poorly, I don't understand. But anyway. Yeah. So it pays to shop around. Yes. And it's more fun to go to all the nurseries. I'm going to remind you of that next time I want to go out and it's a weekend. And We don't shop on the weekends. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Hermit, uh, <laughs> you also wanted to talk a little bit about Clarkias. What's going on with Clarkias? I'm so excited about my Clarkias. They you were... talked a little bit about them before. I think I've referenced them before because I've been thinking about them a lot. Um, Clarkia is a genus of annuals, winter annuals, mostly native to California and the West Coast, though I'm growing one species from South America. Um but they, I got on this whole kick because our climate is very hot in the summer and wet in the summer, and most plants from the West Coast die here. But there's a whole group of winter annuals from the West Coast that germinate in the fall, grow through the winter, bring, bloom in the spring, and then die. That's because they're annuals. And those have done fantastic here. And Clarkias are a group that I was interested in. So last fall, I got a dozen different species, uh, seeds from a place called Seed Hunt um, that I really like. <clears throat> And planted them in the fall, and I really thought they wouldn't do well through the winter because uh, I really thought they were not going to do well through the winter because we get too cold maybe, but they did fantastic. All of them came through the winter, and now they're growing and blooming, and um, it's fun to see uh, them performing. Well, I'm so glad that turned out. Yeah. You say you have some species that you particularly like? Yes. So I like, whenever I started growing a new group of plants, I, I wanted to grow all the things. And because they're from seed, it's pretty affordable to try all of them. So I tried a dozen different species. Some of them have been less successful than others. There's one, um, a brewery, which is so beautiful and fragrant, but it produced about four flowers and then died. It didn't, it was not the, it was the least vigorous, most beautiful, least vigorous of them all. And then there's one called Modesta, uh, Clarkia Modesta, which was very modest, and it had little tiny flowers I could hardly tell were there. But my favorite... <laughs> Usually that's your favorite kind of plant. I know, but my favorite so far has been Clark Clarkia Williamsonii, which, if you follow me on Instagram or Facebook, I've, I've posted it multiple times now, and you're going to see it multiple times more because I'm very in love with it. And if you don't follow him, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you would find out about this podcast if you're not following me, let's be honest. Um, but it is so beautiful i cannot handle it very large flowers and i don't even know how to describe the pattern they're like white at the base and then two different shades of kind of lavender purpley pink on the top so beautiful and the plants are very so gorgeous <laughs> so unusual <laughs> the plants are so very delicate kind of airy in their foliage and then these big, just gorgeous flowers. I'm over the moon with it. I want to plant lots and lots of it. I want to try planting it at home because I think it might be shade tolerant. Okay. Um, another one I really like is Biloba, which has smaller flowers, but it's produced big clouds of sort of these pink flowers. It's been really nice. And then Pulcella um, is the third. That Coachella? Has... What now? Pulcella. Clarkia Pulcella. I should know what that means, but I don't know. It's some Latin, maybe Latin, Greek, something. Anyway... It's very unusually shaped flowers. They're kind of these odd notched uh, petals. And then it's been one of the most floriferous, just lots and lots of flowers. And it's done really well. So I'm very happy with my Clarkias. And I'm excited that they all proved to be hardy from a fall sowing. So I want to plant more next year and enjoy them. And I want to try them as cut flowers because a lot of species are good as cut flowers. So I want to put them in the vase too. As we said, it's been 
dry here lately. But we should say that it seems that a lot of our friends and neighbors are much more concerned about the dryness than you are. Dryness is really relative. I, I, always, I always think of when I was working at the nursery in Michigan, and we had had a terrible dry spell, and it had been a month or more without rain, and it, things were really mm. suffering. And then someone was visiting the nursery from Utah, and we were complaining about how it hadn't rained in a month, and they were just looking at us like we were crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so one climate's dry spell is another climate's wet spell. Um, but definitely you have to think about... So I think my personal opinion, and every, people have to... I think people freak out about watering too much. A lot of plants, even if they're wilty, will will do pretty well. Will come through. Um, if you do water regularly, come through plants. <laughs> if you do water regularly, they may grow taller and more vigorously. Um, but if you don't like to water, plants often can adapt to be pretty dry conditions pretty well and continue through them once they're established. Yeah, you can save water, be environmentally friendly, and not worry too much about your plants. At least here in eastern Virginia, it seems that you don't really have to water things in the ground much. Probably people are thinking that we're blasphemous by saying that. But. Yeah, I don't think – I mean, when, and in Michigan too, which we got significantly less rain, I didn't, I didn't water anything that was established in the ground. So newly planted things have a small root system. You might need to water them that first year when they're getting established and they're getting their root system developing, growing out into the ground. Um, but I don't really water mature plants, you know, once they've been in the ground for a year, I don't make, I don't water things. And part of that too, is I don't grow things. If they can't take it, then I'm not going to grow them. But I haven't, I can't think of anything I've lost because of drought here or in Michigan, actually. So we should say that you do have to keep an eye on containers. If you don't know, they need to be watered pretty regularly. Yeah, absolutely. Containers, because it's a, you know, a con- contain space they can't send the deep roots, roots if it's down. hot and dry and it's outside depending on the plant but you probably have to water every day right yeah definitely if it's in full sun and it's hot and dry yeah uh, especially if you have a big container you know full of lots of annuals and stuff they soak up a lot of water and need to be watered pretty regularly so aside from newly planted things has there ever been a time either because it was dry for so long or because of the particular plant where you had to run the sprinkler um i can't think of one to be honest, which I think a lot of people do water really regularly. Now, certainly, if you do, if you have access to water and you do irrigate regularly, your plants will grow faster. They'll be taller and lusher, but they're also, I think, more fragile. So, if you're watering regularly, they tend to develop shallower root systems. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't water regularly, they're going to dro- put in down deeper root systems and be more drought tolerant. So the person who waters every week, then if there is a drought and you're not allowed to water because you have to save water, their plants are going to suffer more than somebody who's kind of let the plants settle in and grow a naturally deep root system. Um, and the other thing is about watering is mulch is really important for conserving water. Um, so a layer of mulch keeps the soil from, soil from drying out more than bare soil would. And we should say you have to, I mean, we both kind of think you should uh, grow plants suited to your climate. Definitely. We grow a lot of tropicals in the backyard because they do really well here in the summer. And there are a couple of cacti that I grow in the house and then a couple that seem to really tolerate and even like significant amounts of water that do well outside. But, you know, we're not trying to, to grow a bunch of desert plants in our humid humidity yeah. and heat. Th- and, and, you know, conversely, if you live in a drier climate, you really shouldn't try to grow an English cottage garden or some kind of tropical garden, right? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think your life is easier when you lean into the climate that you have. And I, they call it zonal denial. 
<laughs> when people, <laughs> when people, you know, try to grow things that can't th- actually grow in their climatic zone, um, and I think that's tempting because oh, I want to try to grow something unusual, but there's actually lots and lots of really unusual, interesting plants that will thrive in your conditions. Um, and I think looking to parts of the world that have similar climates, the eastern U.S. is very analogous climate to eastern Asia, Japan, Korea, China. Um, so Southeastern U.S. Southeast, yeah. <clears throat> um, so there's a lot of pl- interesting, unusual plants that you can grow. And like I was talking about with the Clarkias, even though our climate is very different from California and California perennials hated here by and large, the winter annuals are winters and California winters are actually more similar. So I think looking at other climates and finding similarities to them allow you to lean into stuff that's going to thrive without coddling and that becomes a more sustainable uh, version of a garden. And even if you live in a dry place, uh, you can plant a garden with cacti and succulents that looks almost lush. I mean, look at the the Huntington Gardens... um, desert garden there are so many cacti in there of different kinds it almost looks lush even though it's really dry and probably you know very rarely gets watered yeah or we've been to one of the great botanic gardens in the country is denver botanic gardens in denver colorado which is spectacular and they do have parts of the garden that are irrigated then they have some of the rock gardens more dry adapted really really beautiful things but if we just took all the plants in our garden and dropped them into Denver, half of them would die. Or if you to keep them alive, you'd have to water them a lot. And and half the plants in Denver here would, uh, just would you know would rot out. And so I do think it is, uh, yeah. I think leaning into your climate is my favorite watering strategy rather than trying to get out the sprinklers and grow you know a lush green lawn in Arizona or something. Right. It just doesn't make sense and is not. It's just not environmentally sustainable, financially sustainable. Yeah. So lean into your climate, but your controversial yet brave opinion is you probably don't need to water as much as some people think that, you need to. Yes, I think you can get away with – and I've seen uh, – yeah, we had dry spells. Everything's wilting. It's looking sad. And then when the rain comes, they pop right back and they look good. So, All right. Well, today's – uh, a plant that you're digging segment. You wanted to talk a little bit about peas? Yes, peas. Now, these are peas that you eat. Yes, we've talked about sweet peas before, which are poisonous but beautiful. And these are edible peas, which are beautiful yet not poisonous. Um, are <laughs> they beautiful, though? I think they are. I've kind of... So, I always grew just whatever peas I could find, but I'm growing a variety this year called Sugar Magnolia, Sweet Magnolia. I don't remember. I had written down, but it's in the other room. <laughs> you not pay attention to details? I'm shocked. It's a it's like a sugar snap style pea, but with purple pods, and they're really pretty. And the flowers are purple and quite pretty, and it's what's called a hypertendril. So they have the little tendrils that hold on to climb up things, and it has giant, huge ones that I guess are edible and can be used as like really? salad garnishes and stuff. Okay. Anyway, it's really cool looking. And growing it has gotten me very interested in thinking about all the different varieties of peas. And there's yellow, quote-unquote, yellow-potted peas and, and purple. And some are supposed to be pinkish-reddish colored. And snow peas and giant snow peas that have very large pods. Um, so I've not grown many many of them yet, but I have now a long list of all the ones I want to try next year. So I'm really interested to try different varieties. And also interested to see, because peas are cool-season plants, they grow in the spring, and then they sort of give up once it gets hot. 
So I'm interested to try different varieties and see which ones would produce the longest into our summer. And I'm happy because we have some peas in our fridge now. Yeah, we have peas. Something you can eat from the garden, finally. <laughs> <laughs> so rarely happens. People think that I just have tons of produce from you, and I try to say, no, he's interested in growing weird little rare well, the, things. You know what's gonna, what this means next year? It's going to be more peas than you could possibly. <laughs> it's always feast or famine with possibly you. eat because I have a list. I, I have a list of a dozen more varieties that I want to grow next year already, but they freeze really well. Dare I mention the chili pepper incident? No, I don't know. What you're when you about. grew chili peppers of different varieties because of some breeding project you had in mind of varying levels of hotness, but then you threw them all into the same bag and put them in the freezer. So every time I was cooking, it was Russian roulette. When I pulled out a chili pepper, I... it was either going to set my head on fire or I would barely taste it. <laughs> I think it's more exciting that way. <laughs> Life is definitely exciting with you. Yes. So for today's mailbag, you recently got a question. What's the question? Yeah, so I got a question about fertilizing uh, containers from our friend Rita. Um, and it started with she had been fertilizing using a liquid fertilizer. So those, you know, you put uh, crystals, granules in your watering can and it dissolves and then water over the plants with that. And she was having the flowers were actually burning um, from that. So fertilizers are a salt and they can also, they can actually on leaf tissues and flower tissues, they can actually cause browning if you get a fertilizer liquid on the, especially flowers of plants. <clears throat> and then she was wondering if she was putting too much fertilizer or too little fertilizer. So the other, one thing I know about fertilizer is if you do too much, it will kill plants because it is, it's a salt solution. And so it can actually cause plants to wilt and dry out and uh, leaf edges to brown and then too much can be toxic. Um, so one thing to know if you're growing containers like she was is that a lot of the potting soils will have fertilizer already added. So miracle Grow is like the one you're going to see a lot and it's going to say feeds plants for three months because they've put a slow-release fertilizer in there for three months. So look at the bag of potting soil you're using and see if it has, it, you will say something about whether there's compost added or fertilizer added and, and usually give some kind of indication of how long that should last. So Usually if you're buying, putting in fresh potting media, you don't need to add fertilizer for the first several months. And then if you're using a liquid fertilizer, um, try to put it on the soil, not on the plant itself. And if you are putting on the flowers, you can rinse that off with clean water. What I prefer to do is buy what's called a slow-release fertilizer. Um, and you can get these as organic formulations, or there's a brand called Osmocote, which is little pellets. And basically, these are little pellets that slowly release the fertilizer over a period of time. So rather than putting a liquid fertilizer down that you need to do every you know couple weeks to keep the plants growing happily in your containers, these you're going to put down. They're going to last for several months. So you may need to do it once or twice in the season. And it's a really much less fuss, I think, than using a liquid fertilizer. And you have some really useful tips on uh, how to fertilize Vegetable Gardens in your book, right? With helpful charts? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. In the book, uh, The Comic Book Guide to Growing Food, available now at all fine booksellers. <laughs> all right. Um, get your copy today. Yeah. Um, so this, she was actually specific, she was asking specifically about containers, and that's a more straightforward because the container media is pretty uniform, but when you're growing plants in ground, like your vegetable garden, you want to get a soil test first because you don't know what nutrients are in the soil until you get a soil test, and then you don't know what fertilizer you need to add. Okay. Well, they can check your book for more tips Absolutely. on that, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Well, I think we've talked enough for today. We'll check in again in a couple of weeks. All right. Happy gardening. Happy gardening.